Borukata Adonai Elohenu Hamelech HaOlam. Blessed is the Lord our God, King of the universe. And that's who we worship, and that's who we come before as we open up God's Word. And it's, again, a privilege to be here. Thank you to Jeremy and uh, his family and to this church who have been so gracious to me in welcoming me, even though I'm uh, you know, a Steeler and Pirate fan. But uh, anyway, yes, it's uh, been an honor and privilege, as Jeremy said, to teach this, this uh, what we call the playing board of Israel. Uh, we do travel, we lead trips, we teach around the country, and we use this as a starting point. And today's message is going to take place in a place called Jerusalem right there. This land of Israel is about 300 miles long and maybe 75 at its widest point. But uh, as we teach the Bible in the context of archaeology, historical geography, customs and culture, Hebraic background of Jesus, those kinds of things, uh, we're going to zero in on a city called Jerusalem where John 9 actually unfolds uh, for us uh, this, this morning. So I want to ask you a couple questions, however, before we start. How many of you have uh, ever had your eyes checked? Herman Snellen is the guy who lived in the 19th century who developed this. I know when I, <laughs> this is confession time, when I was in high school competing in different sports, of course you always have to get a physical before uh, your sport starts actually. And I do remember trying to memorize this before you go to the doctor. Little did I know that this chart is not all the same. So once in a while that would foul me up, but uh, give yourself a test. I guess it's blown up on this big screen, so you probably could read the bottom line, right? So you probably have really good vision this morning. 2020, of course, is normal. 2060, for instance, is what uh, perhaps a person who is struggling with some eyesight uh, might be measured at. That means that uh, 20 feet, what you can see a normal person perhaps could see at 60. And of course, at 2200, that means that we're legally blind. But uh, we talk about blindness all the time, and certainly uh, some of you, as well as myself, Sometimes we have to get the reading glasses out. This happens about 35 or 40. Pastor Jeremy, do you read with reading glasses yet? So your eyes are pretty good? Okay, I see some glasses out there. We depend on glasses in order to be able to see well. But once in a while, this is what happens. When we don't get to have our glasses on, we sort of forget our limitations. I'm not blind, I just need really thick glasses sometimes is what we experience. But uh, when we talk about blindness, of course, uh, I get a kick out of what I have read before of excuses for car accidents. This, these are real excuses that people uh, mailed in on their form after they 
are involved in a, a car accident. No one was to blame for the accident, but it would never have happened if the other driver hadn't been so blind. Here's another one. I was blinded by the sun, and out of nowhere came this invisible car. It came and struck my car and vanished out of sight. Now, really? Can you really imagine someone turning this in as an excuse? How about this one? The accident happened because I had one eye on the road in front, one eye on the pedestrian, and one eye on the car behind me. <laughs> really? This is my favorite. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced over at my mother-in-law, and then blindly went over the embankment that I did not see. You know, the unfortunate truth about uh, who we are as human beings is that sometimes we can become blinded to who Jesus is. We live among people who have no idea who Jesus is. Perhaps there are some of you here even this morning who perhaps have not come to a full realization and acceptance of who Jesus is. Maybe you know who he is, a teacher, a man, uh, someone who taught good things, but he lived so far in the past that maybe he doesn't feel relevant to you. That's the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a fallen world where Jesus is not seen for who he really is. So today's text is, I hope, a text that helps us see Jesus once again. So we're going to travel to Jerusalem and we're literally going to listen to a story from John chapter 9. And I want to read it in maybe a, a more dramatic fashion. I'm going to try not to fall off the stage here. But I'm going to sit down and uh, read John 9. Now, many of you, of course, have your Bibles with you. But I don't want you to follow the passage, at least when I initially read it. In this passage, it's actually the longest healing narrative that we have in the Gospels. But it involves a number of, of people in the story. First of all, of course, there's Jesus. Secondly, of course, there's the blind guy who was born from birth. Uh, there are some lines shared by the neighbors or crowd. The disciples chime in on one line. There are some obnoxious Pharisees in the narrative. And yet, this unfolds in a way where we understand that this blind guy, born from birth, not only ends up being healed physically, but his eyesight spiritually is made whole. So allow me to read it in a dramatic fashion perhaps playing the parts of these individuals mentioned in the story. Here is the text of John 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, 
this man or his parents, though he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man, the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man! How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes, and he told me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and washed, and now I can see. By the way, I pictured this blind guy as a short, squeaky-sounding guy. <laughs> if he didn't get that already. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was Shabbat. Therefore the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. And the man replied, well, they, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, Oh, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Shabbat. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then the Pharisees turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. And they asked, Is this your son? Is this the same one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? The parents answered, We know he's our son, and yet we know he was born blind, but how he can see and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he will answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. 
That's why his panzers, his parents said, he's, he's of age, ask him. Well, a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have already told you and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, <laughs> That's actually not in the text. <laughs> you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. <laughs> the man answered, Now isn't that remarkable? You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, Oh, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Let's pray. Lord, as we open this text this morning, and notice the progression of how this blind guy recognized who you were. It's our prayer that as we do this this morning together, that you open our eyes, not our physical eyes, but the eyes of our heart, so that we can see you again. Be with my words. May they reflect your Spirit's leading, and may we be edified and encouraged together this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. So that's the text. As this text unfolds, I want us to look at four aspects of how the story unfolds. And we're going to notice very simply, without much detail, 
because we want the story to sort of speak for itself. We want to understand how this man comes to un- the understanding of who Jesus was. First of all, this man recognizes Jesus as simply the man called Jesus. Let's call this the cure. Now, this man was born blind. And of course, reacting to his blindness, <laughs> it's almost sad at this point because the disciples of Jesus should have at least shown some compassion to this guy, but instead of compassion, they display some curiosity and they ask, well, what caused this guy's blindness? Who sinned? And of course, Jesus makes a powerful statement saying, it's all because of the glory of God to be about to be displayed here. And they missed the point, these disciples. But this man, this blind guy, is one who has been suffering from blindness all his life. I want to take you to Jerusalem. In fact, here in Jerusalem, a model of the, the city of Jerusalem as it looked like 2,000 years ago, this man would have known Jerusalem, although he would have not seen Jerusalem quite yet. He would have been in the temple courts. He would have been led there, perhaps by hand. Perhaps he was familiar with the size of the, the temple. Perhaps he stood in the holy chamber of the Israelite court. Perhaps he brought his sacrifices. Perhaps his parents, his elderly parents, accompanied him. This blind guy knew Jerusalem, but he still did not see it. Today we can actually see portions of Herodian Street. This blind guy would have walked on this street, as well as Jesus and his disciples. This blind guy would have perhaps felt this pavement that dates 2,000 years ago. This blind guy missed the opportunity at this point to see how massive these stones were. This project that Herod the Great started in 20 B.C., this massive temple. In fact, the rabbi said, if you've, you've not seen beauty until you've seen the temple. Well, this blind guy has not, at this point, ever have seen this temple. These massive stones that weigh, some of them weigh hundreds of tons. But when we go back to this model of Jerusalem at the Israel Museum, this man is invited to leave the temple area, and he walks down a Herodian street down to the Pool of Siloam at the very southern end of the city. Perhaps the street looked like this. In fact, you may be interested that just a couple years ago they found a drainage channel underneath this street that looks like this. Now the man walked on top of this pavement and he walks all the way down to the pool of Siloam right there. He washes in the pool which is pictured here. Half of the pool has been excavated now. About eight or nine years ago they actually found this. But the pool most likely looked like this. And what's interesting is that this man who still has not seen the temple or this pool 
obediently follows Jesus' commands. Now, we wonder why Jesus didn't simply heal him immediately. Perhaps the leading answer to that question was to teach this man obedience. He wanted to have this man respond to him. So he goes and washes in the pool. And it's interesting that at this point, the man only identifies Jesus as the man called Jesus. Now, the, the word or the name Jesus, who was a very common name, Yeshua, Joshua. So basically, at this point in his interaction with Jesus, he's saying, ah, some Joe just washed, put some mud on my eye and told me to wash in the pool of Siloam. That's the level of understanding who Jesus was at this point in the man's life. Joshua, Yeshua. It's like you and me saying, hey, some Joe just told me to do all this. Not a very deep relationship yet in understanding who Jesus was. The truth in our culture is that many in our society only have a name recognition with who Jesus is. They don't understand him as God's son. They don't understand him as the redeemer of the world. Perhaps your neighbor or your work associate or perhaps even someone here. You've heard the name Jesus mentioned oftentimes. Of course, we celebrate him at uh, Christmas and Easter, but that's about it. That's the level of understanding that this man had. Ah, some guy named Jesus. He's the one who sent me to the pool. But I want us to watch how the progression And the understanding unfolds for this man. Because secondly, here in verse 17, the man now refers to him as the prophet. The prophet. And yet there's a controversy going on here. What's the controversy? Well, the controversy was that All of this happened on the Shabbat, the Sabbath. You have to understand that the Jewish Talmud, which is a compilation of commentary on the Hebrew Scriptures, primarily the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Talmud mentions that there are 39 uh, actions that you have to avoid on the Shabbat. Shabbat for Israel, Israelis today and Jewish people today begin on Friday night at sunset and continue through Saturday night. Things like you can't drive a car. You can't turn on a light switch. You can't use an elevator. In fact, uh, in kosher hotels where we, uh, that we use in our trips, uh, these kosher hotels on Shabbat, they're already programmed to stop at every floor. I'll tell you, if you're on a hotel that has... 10 or 11 floors, and if you get on the wrong hotel, you're going to stop at every floor because engaging the button is something that is not allowed on the Shabbat. You can't cook. You leave your burner on. You can't turn your light off or on. You can't even put up an umbrella today because that's an act of building something. All of these 
oral laws that now have trickled down from the time of the New Testament to how they're observed today by our Jewish friends uh, in Israel. Uh, This was the controversy because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And yet this man recognizes him as a Navi, a prophet, which is quite interesting because now there's a, at least initially, a beginning connection of connecting Jesus as not just some Joe, some Yeshua, some Jesus, but now he's connected to a prophet. What did the prophets do? The prophets had some kind of connection and actually divine task in life. Let me take you to Mount Sinai. Let's talk about three prophets. In fact, Moses is actually mentioned in this text. This is actually a picture taken a couple weeks ago from Mount Sinai in Egypt. We all know that Moses received the law, not once but twice, here on Mount Sinai. Moses was a messenger of God. That's what a prophet actually was. Or how about this prophet named Elijah here on Mount Carmel? 1 Kings 18. This prophet actually defeats 450 prophets of Baal, the Canaanite or Phoenician god of rain and thunder. You see, Elijah was used as a a man connected to God, and yet he called down fire. God intervened in a miraculous way. That's an amazing story. Or how about this prophet named Isaiah? Of course, we have the book of Isaiah in front of us, and we can read all of the chapters. It's a long book, but Isaiah was used, as we read from, for instance, uh, Isaiah 7 and 11 and 40. Uh, He predicted the coming of the Messiah. So all of these prophets had a role. And now here in this story, I find it interesting that this blind guy is now associating Jesus with being some kind of prophet. However, the Pharisees did not recognize Jesus as a prophet because they, in their opinion, would conclude that if he was a prophet, he wouldn't be healing on the Shabbat. That was the controversy. What's the Sabbath all about? It's about rest. There's a story that I enjoy hearing and sharing of an older couple. How many of you still put out your clothes on the clothesline in your backyard? Do any of you still do that? A few of you. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I remember when I was a kid, that was the greatest thing. My mom would take down the the clothes from the clothesline. It would be dry, and they would smell just wonderfully. Well, there's a a story of an older couple who actually did this, and while they were taking down their clothes that were now dry on the line, here comes this golden retriever. It's an old golden retriever. As they open the back door to their house, this golden retriever just walks right in with them. Walks down the hallway and lays down in the corner of the hallway and takes a nap for an hour. Now, the dog had a collar, but no identification. About an hour's time, the dog gets up, stands at the door. The older couple, they open the door, and out 
goes the dog, never to be seen again until the next day. Here comes the same dog, walks into the house, takes a nap for about an hour, they let him out. This happened three times. So this older couple decided to make, <clears throat> uh, to do something about it. So they put a little note underneath the, the dog's collar. And it read something like, we want you to know, whoever the owner of this dog is, that your dog comes in and takes a nap in our house. We just want to make sure that he's returning to the right person. Well, and a couple days later than that, <laughs> here comes this dog. But now this dog has a different note underneath the collar of his, of around his neck. So the older couple, they opened up this new note, and it says, Thank you for caring for our dog. We just want you to know that this dog lives in a house with six small children. <laughs> Three of them are under the age of four. He's just trying to find a little peace and rest. P.S. Can I come too? <laughs> you see, the Shabbat was about finding rest. But Jesus was talking about something more. Not only through His healing, but Shabbat rest to Jesus was on the spiritual level. You see, He came to bring all of us spiritual rest and peace. Perhaps some of you are here struggling with issues. Perhaps your heart is restless this morning. Trying to figure out perhaps who this Jesus guy is, but perhaps wrestling with the challenges of life, the circumstances that are difficult. My friends, Jesus is the only source of spiritual rest for all of us as we not only identify Him as this man called Jesus, and as the prophet, and as we are going to see in the next two observations, even more than that. But you see, we can only find spiritual rest for our souls when we entrust our hearts to Him and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. That's why when we come to this uh, next passage, this next part of the story, uh, he's now, this blind guy, he refers to Jesus now as a man from God. Now that's quite a jump, isn't it? This guy named Yeshua, well, he's a prophet. But now the blind guy is able to identify Jesus as a man from God. Listen to these words again, and I'll read them in my normal voice. The man answered, now isn't that remarkable? This is the blind guy speaking. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Uh, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. But no one has ever heard of opening the eyes of the blind man born blind. If this man were not from God, there it is, he could do nothing. You see, Jesus was more than just a man named Jesus. He was more than just a prophet. Here, at this point in the story, he's identified as a man from God. I want to take you all around Israel now and see if we can stop and pause and appreciate and learn 
and connect to Jesus in what he did and who he was. This Jesus, if you have any doubt at all, was someone born in Bethlehem. Paul says at the right time, just at the right time, God sent his son. He was born in the shadows of Herodium, where Herod the Great had a palace. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. After this, he was tempted 40 days in the desert of Judah. He knew his purpose. This man from God, God incarnate. He lived in Nazareth for most of his life, up to the age 30. Four miles away was the primary Jewish city called Sephorus. It was a Hellenized Jewish city. It had everything. Jesus would have visited there. But at the age 30, Jesus begins to teach at Cana in this valley. He performs his first miracle. He then would move to the Sea of Galilee area where he would see sunrises like this. Text tells us he got up early in the morning to pray. On this north and west side of the lake, Jesus showed compassion. He healed people. Here in the synagogue at Capernaum, he healed a demon-possessed man. He taught about the kingdom, and he taught with authority. He would call his disciples here along the shoreline of the lake. He would go to Chorazin and actually heal a man, Mark 8, from blindness there. He would speak in the synagogues in the Galilee. On the northern side, he would feed 5,000 people and more as the Jordan Valley flows into the Sea of Galilee. On this southeast corner of the lake, Jesus fed the 4,000. He crossed the lake many times to places like Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from. My friends, according to Matthew, Jesus taught in many of the synagogues, and this is one synagogue that actually dates to the time of Jesus. You see, this man of God came to share the kingdom news of God. Here in this synagogue called Gamala, Jesus, no doubt, even though it's not referenced specifically in the Gospels, shared about the kingdom. On the Man of Beatitudes, Matthew 5, Jesus taught about the kingdom. And he invites us to be the salt and light of the world. Jesus also took boat rides. One time in Mark 4, in a boat like this, Jesus encountered a storm. He was sleeping in a boat like this. And his disciples woke him up and said, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus calms the storm. Here, perhaps on the cliff of our bell, he prayed. He distanced himself from the, the, the community or the crowds occasionally. Perhaps here on this mountain, he was transfigured. It's mentioned in Matthew chapter 17. Here at Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say I am? And it's Peter who responded, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. But ultimately, he would go to Jerusalem his last time, probably the last time of five visits to Jerusalem after the age of 30. And Jesus there, his last week, would be in and out of the temple courts here in Jerusalem. 
He would share the Last Supper with his disciples. He would be betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would be handed over to Caiaphas, the high priest. On Friday, he would be handed over to Pilate, where he would be condemned to die on a cross. You see, that's who Jesus is. The question is, how do we connect to him? How do we connect to Jesus today? First starting point is to realize that we are all sinners. And we do not deserve God's grace. And yet, thankfully, God shares his love and compassion with us all. Because he sent his son, you see, not to condemn the world, but to love the world and to offer us a way of salvation. We connect with God, with Jesus, as we open up his word. And I'm so thankful for this, uh, this church, this body of believers, all of you, Pastor Jeremy, who teach the word faithfully about who this Jesus actually was and is today. Connecting with Jesus. You see, that this blind man, if we go back now to Jerusalem, we talk about this blind guy who finally, at the end of the story, identifies him as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And the confession is heard. You see, Jesus heard that he had thrown him out. And the text tells us when he found him, interesting thing, it's Jesus who found the blind guy. Isn't that just how it is with us? It's God who finds us. And Jesus asked the blind guy, do you believe in the Son of Man? Notice also that Jesus uses his messianic title the Son of Man. Actually, in the book of Mark, it's mentioned over and used over a dozen times. It's a messianic title from the book of Daniel. And yet this blind guy who first saw him as just a man called Jesus, and then a prophet, and then a man from God, is now confessing Jesus as the Son of of man. That's a wonderful progression. In fact, that's sort of how salvation works. God takes us from an awareness of our need for him. We may have heard about this Jesus, this son of God who was sent, but he takes us to an awareness of our own need to accept him. He was more than just a man. He was more than just a prophet. He was more than just the, the son of man but he was the Son of God, you see. And that's who we accept as our Lord and Savior. That's how we connect as we confess our sin. And as Mark chapter 10 tells us, as we repent of our sin and accept the reign and rule of God in our lives. You see, that's why Jesus came. This kingdom message was all about the reign and rule of God in our lives. And that can only happen when we give up control of who we are. When we sort of lose focus of life is about me. It's not. 
It's about accepting this free gift of salvation. It's a wonderful story of how we can see the progression of this man's understanding of who Jesus was. You see, the Son of Man, as Mark chapter uh, 1 tells us, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we end this message with another spiritual eye test. Jesus loves you. I hope you see that. It doesn't matter your background, your past life. Jesus loves you. And the invitation this morning is for us to open our eyes and our heart to Him. Our physical eyesight might not be very good any longer. We might have to use these. But in this case, when we talk about spiritual eyesight, we can simply put them away as we open our eyes and our hearts to the one who reaches out to us. It's all because of this. It's all because of the invitation that Jesus offers you and me. Lord, open our spiritual eyes that may we may see you anew. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for opening our spiritual eyes so that we can see who you are. Perhaps someone here this morning has not yet seen you. You are not just a man named Jesus. You are not just a prophet. You are not just the Son of Man. You are the very Son of God who came to give your life as a ransom for us. Lord, take all of us this morning to a place where we realize and recognize our need for you and open our eyes. Open the eyes and hearts of perhaps people here this morning who have not yet accepted you. Thank you for your love and your grace and your compassion that await us as we simply say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I can't save myself. And I come to you and receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that is ours through praying a prayer like this. Thank you for all that you continue to do on our behalf. So continue to open our eyes in our hearts each day of our lives as we allow you to come and reign and rule in us together. We pray these things 
in your powerful and your precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen.